0: I want us to start with your background. Who are you, Mr. Eomondi? I only know you by
1: game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just a Kenyan, you know, who grew up in a in a very normal, average life and mm-hmm. probably faced so many problems that, you know, mm. you just feel if, if people took initiative a little bit more, some of this problem would cease being and um yeah, so I'm just a guy from like who came to Nairobi in pursuit of education mm. and yeah, here we are now great well what's what's your background like?
0: um did you grow up um in in an environment where you know you are exposed to not necessarily town life, town life, but things that that are um I'd say from from a town environment, you know, people from town would come and show you devices, show you things or tell you stories. Um, or was it just you very village-oriented where your life is in the farm and then once you probably come to the city, the big city, that's when you start seeing things and you're amazed by everything. <laughs> I,
1: I actually come from those places you see on the news with bandits attacking <laughs> to, you know, <laughs> Still still some cattle and such kind of stuff. That's where I actually do come from. Mm. Um, A a lot of land ownership problems and Mm -hmm. so many other problems. But I got exposed to town life a little bit earlier as I went to schools outside my, you know, my home area. It was Mm -hmm. fascinating at first. So when I was coming to Nairobi, I had seen the town life at least just a little bit. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah, um, so I, I remember,
0: you, you know, you, I've, I've seen you uh, on a couple of occasions say that uh, I, I helped you get into crypto, um, but then one thing you don't realize is that particular day that I got in touch with you uh, to do some influencer work for me, I was doing my very first crypto event.
1: Um, Wait, what? The Bit Soccer yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So that, that particular day, I think you, you told me. Yeah, I
0: asked you to, if you could come through and then you referred me to, to, to someone else, to his place. Yeah, um, that was my very first crypto event. Um, I had gotten some guests from abroad, uh, one from the UK, another one from Botswana, Alakanaini, and then. Um, I put together the program, organized for the location, catering, well, basically just began organizing. It was my first time. But then I was pretty excited about about crypto. And a funny thing is I did also just have so much exposure at that particular time. But I could get a few things here and there, because you know, crypto even in 2017 particularly was still very complex and didn't have so many so so many resources where you could be able to learn about it. Um uh, you know, we don't did have like as many podcasts uh, as there are today, so that's a pretty interesting twist to to me. So I, I don't know what what made you realize that you know um, that crypto had some sort of interesting fe- feature that that for, that that made you get into it.
1: Actually, it was because the first time I got engaged in crypto was on that same day when you were doing the ice <laughs> summit with. Um yeah, with It's so and the whole idea of ICOs was very interesting to me. I was like, mm. oh, "Oh, you know, you you don't really need to go public or something to raise funds for something that you want to build. You can just do it this way. This is fascinating." I had like twenty-four hours to research on the whole thing right. and come up with a strategy, you know, <laughs> to run the campaign on social media and. To make it interesting and incentivize it for people to attend, so. Wait I, wait, I think you're. I think you're confusing. There's the ICO summit we
0: did in 2018. That was
1: 2018.
0: Yeah. And then there's another event that we did in 2017 or 2016 at um, Moringa School.
1: I don't think I came to the Moringa School event. You, you didn't.
0: You didn't. But I think you referred me to someone who, who helped me sort of uh, share it on on social media. Yeah. So okay. that was in 2017. Uh, but then, of course, you 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 got you got more active in 2017 when we were doing the I C O summit. Yeah, towards yeah. the end of the year.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it was fascinating for me, and I remember. You guys and Apollo insisting that I accept payments in crypto. And I was like, no, 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 this thing sounds fishy. I, I don't like it. Yeah. If, <laughs> if it works like a duck and quacks like a duck, it is. Like <laughs> <a> duck. <laughs> Eventually, I accepted payments in Crypto and it tanked just like the way I thought, and I was yeah. like, I, I knew it. <laughs> yeah. But then sure. after a few months, um, it came back up. Yeah, it started, you know, growing again and gaining in price, which now I know doesn't really matter. Mm. And yeah, and now we're here. I am one of the biggest advocates of this technology, and yeah. I, I think especially for countries like Kenya countries in Mm -hmm. Africa, countries in South America. These are technologies that we cannot afford to pass on. It solves a lot of the problems we face because a lot of them are artificially manufactured. They are man-made problems which can be done away with if we Mm -hmm. get rid of the middleman using such kinds of technologies. Yeah, so long story short. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's true. I mean, it's interesting when you say that... uh, you you are having a hard time refusing to accept payment in crypto. And it reminded me of some some crypto forum I was in back then, where was, there was this lady on stage who was saying, she used to be a writer in 20, early 20, 2012, 2013, 2014, online writer, and she would be told by her clients, let me pay you in crypto, let me, let me send you 80 bitcoins, you know? And she was like, ah, no, just send me my dollars, you know. And she refused every time, and they kept telling her, okay, let me send you 100 bitcoins, you know. And she was saying that at some point, she had refused to accept as much as 300 bitcoins back then for payment for her writing work. She just wanted the dollars so that, you know, she can liquidate and go on with her business. Uh, But, of course, uh, eventually she realized it, and, well, she real quick and did get, got into crypto trading well she kind of just found a way out of it but you know uh, hearing stories like that is, is is quite common and and I think one of the things that people sometimes misinterpret or don't acknowledge is the fact that even if if, if it even if it was yourself if you had 500 bitcoins in in, in 2010 2011 2013. You probably would have even lost them, right? Because you I didn't. A
1: thousand dollars a bitcoin. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um and, and that that's one of the arguments
0: that people sometimes need to understand when they say that, oh, you know, I really wish I got in early. Yeah, that's fine. You could have gotten in early, but then you'd have lost them. Uh you would have uh you'd have even just never thought much about them because they were there was something that you didn't even really get to understand, essentially. Um, so, for me, I think of that people don't have no regrets. And, like we keep saying, it's still Ali, it's still early in crypto. Um, what's the one thing that you think triggered you to accept? the ecosystem and be part of it actively? Is there a particular trigger that you say, this is now what made me understand crypto and blockchain and, and take take it up as something that I, I I would pursue?
1: Okay, I think you mean other than the pressure that you guys mounted on Yes. <laughs> yes, other than the pressure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got to understand that these underlying technology also solved a lot of other problems that, you know, we face as the human race, if we could use that word. I got to understand that, you know, all the misinformation that was being floated out there was being, you know, sponsored by people who you do not want to associate with. The very same people who are responsible for the situation that the world is in at this moment. I got to understand that, you know, like I said, I come from Laikipia, where we have perennial wars because of land ownerships and all that, that yeah. you could actually issue title deeds on the blockchain and it would be immutably stored. Like even a thousand years from now, people would know that this land came from, you know, the Mzungu to the government to Dare, who sold it to Theo, who sold it oh. to the next person and such kind of stuff. So it was really fascinating and, yeah, and... It resonated well with my career path, which I had chosen of the digital space, and you know, yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's true. Um,
1: I, I think personally, for me,
0: it's of course. I think for most people, you get into into crypto through Bitcoin. Uh, but it's it's the gateway. Uh, for me, it was just understanding that concept of scarcity. You know, there will only be twenty one million of Bitcoin to be mined. And um, that was something that uh, trying to relate it with money was 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 was, a, was some sort of um, I'd say a, a wake up moment for me to to realize that wow I mean money can be scarce in a way that you know it's not controlled by any one entity or like governments and it's. It's secured by a network um, which is completely decentralized. I mean those those concepts were very new to me and the I, I never thought about them. You know, essentially what is what has been broken down in the in the Bitcoin white paper, those those were things that that really just drove me to to get into that rabbit hole and find find out more about it. That was that was pretty, pretty interesting. Let um, me tell
1: you a funny story yeah, yeah. that will probably even encourage people who have not gotten into these kinds of technologies yet to give it a try. When I was getting yeah. into Bitcoin, I, I actually did not know how money works. For me, it was <laughs> just, you know, this thing is fascinating. And yeah. I can get to tell people, you know, I, I own some Bitcoin. <laughs> like the way we are doing with Metaverse right now, just because you yeah. you know... A few pieces of land on Metaverse. You don't know how that will go, but it's really interesting, you know, to just I own land in Metaverse. So that was it. I actually came to learn about how money in the traditional financial systems work when I was in Bitcoin. So I guess um, I, I I could tell people when you get into this technology, you you get that thirst. You know, you you thirst to learn about how the money has evolved over the years, how this kind of technology manages, you know, to get rid of governments and banks and, mm. you know, just allow people to transact on a peer-to-peer basis. Even mm. if you do not know at first, the moment you just get one leg in, it becomes fascinating to learn and you just love everything about this technology.
0: That's true, and you know a lot of people don't know about money. Uh, that's just a sad fact. That's why people save they save with banks, and get what I don't know five percent uh, interest per year, uh, which can't
1: inflation. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, one of the things that it, and it seems like it's something that was put up by design is uh, financial education is something that is completely missing for a lot of people. People don't know. What money is? Where does money come from? Um, how does governments make uh, manage? You know the circulation of, of money, uh, money supply in the economies. Um, what is inflation? And deflation? Uh, what What's the purpose of the central banking system? Um, all these concepts are been being created in such a way that it's becoming very complex to to understand even for for normal people. Um, you know, so they'll they'll just use terms that are meant to confuse people. Um, you know, instead of instead of saying you're printing money, they're just going to use another another term. Um, yeah,
1: you know, they'll uh, just say quantitative easing. Quantitative <laughs> easing. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's
0: just money printing in in short, right? But then they try and make it so complex for ordinary people to understand. So, when you are even just trying to learn it by yourself, you get confused and you give up. And you're like, you know what? Uh, uh, screw this. Let me, let me just keep on living my life. You know, As long as I have some money in my account, as long as I have a house, um, I can pay for my bills, I'm comfortable. Yeah, um, I and that actually, is the most unfortunate bit.
1: I, I actually talked to some of my friends who refuse to get into crypto, and they tell me they cannot get into crypto because they do not understand how it works, how it's issued and everything. It takes me less than 10, 15 minutes to explain that to them. But but when it comes to how the traditional money works, you know, it's such (laughs) a complex process, you know. And then they, I guess when you don't own a piece of something, when you're researching, you try to look more into the negative Um. uh, news and publications on the same compared to when you do own it For example, I am a Bitcoin owner. So whenever I read an article, I take it upon myself to verify whether this is true, whether it's just, you know, fad. But for a normal person who does not own this, they just read it's used by criminals, takes up a lot of energy, et cetera, et cetera. And that is what they will believe because, you know, it's like you're trying to look for reasons not to get into this thing rather than reasons to, you know. Further your journey inside. That's why I was saying it's better to just get one foot in, even if it's $10 worth of crypto. That incentivizes you to learn more and more and more and even um, fact check every publication that is made. I can imagine if the Pandora papers included someone who had <laughs> has stored his wealth in Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So I think two things. Um, one is, first of all, there's so much noise. So trying to, to, to pick out the signal from the noise is, is a bit of a hurdle for someone who's just starting out. Because um, let's assume we're just going into Twitter to, to search crypto. Um, you're going to find a ton of information. Some of it is really good information. The rest are scammers. The rest are well, probably hackers. Um, people giving out airdrops and you know, it's, it's a huge, huge uh, bulk of information which might be very really hard to keep, keep, up, keep up with. So I think try, knowing how to distinguish the, the signal from the noise is a very good thing to do when you're starting out. And then secondly, you know, um, I think this is something someone mentioned to me and which I'm going to be using a lot more uh you need to have skin in the game so if you really want to learn something you need to practically take part in it so you can read as much as you want about crypto and whatever else but then if you don't practically set up a wallet own some of it play around with it move it across different wallets um trade it um, whatever else you need to do that entails it if you don't do that you're still going to be very uh, stuck with the theory, and I don't think that is a good learning. Um, that, that's not a, the best way to, to, to learn about these things.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Hmm. True. Yeah, so you got into crypto. Uh, you've been very outspoken on Twitter, and I'm so sure uh, you've been able to uh, enable a lot of people to get into it. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I go through the Twitter feed, and I see some of the people talking about crypto, I'm like, oh, you also know about crypto. I know for sure. This has to be through with you, right? <laughs> uh, definitely, yeah. yeah. So, um, how how has your journey been so far since you got into it, and your experience with maybe teaching people or even learning learning about it? What's what are some of the outstanding things that you think have come out of of your experience?
1: Um, first things first. This is a new technology is still very new. We don't know yeah. a lot of stuff. We, you know, we learn on the go. So that's one point that people need to know. You cannot just come and, you know, expect someone to know everything about this technology. Even my mm. sailor is learning as, you know, yeah. as, as yeah. he continues with this crypto journey. So that's one thing that people ought to know. Just the small things that you know, just build from there. If you want to ask something, just ask. If I don't know, I'll direct you to Dea. I'll direct you to Jogu and the other masters who have been in this game longer and probably understand it better than I do. But um, back to your question, it's really easy getting people to understand when you talk to them on a very basic level. Um, I remember we were doing a talk with you sometime last year, And you said that, you know, probably the Europeans and Americans just keep saying, you know, you guys are late to this. We kept selling you and this and this and this and that. Yeah, Yeah, you probably own 0.1, 0.5 bitcoins and you're making all the noise. That's Mm. not the way to go when it comes to Kenya. A lot of people who, you know, need these kinds of technology, a lot of people who want to get into these technologies Mm. are just finding out about this technology right now so you have to you know start with what is bitcoin why should i get into this um what is ethereum what is solana what's what are nfts what is mining they probably won't even do all those kinds of stuff but they just want you know to understand a very basic level they also won't spend fifty thousand dollars buying one bitcoin on the first purchase you have to teach them how to buy you know ten dollars fifty dollars worth of the same you Mm -hmm. have to accept that they'll keep asking you questions that you think that this is a very amateurish question but it's where we are you have to Mm -hmm. you know walk them the journey from the first steps up to you know where you are and sometimes they even become better traders than you are, better hodlers and everything. So I usually try to talk to people on that level. If it's someone who I got into crypto in 2019, I know Mm -hmm. that this guy probably already knows how to do X, Y, Z, but now he wants to, you know, to take it a little bit, a notch higher to another, probably DeFi or something like that. So I start again with DeFi from a very basic, you know, explanation. Yeah. So mm. it's really important that we, especially us as Africans, not take, you know, what the American Twitter, European Twitter is doing and try to yeah. implement it here. And it becomes tricky because, you know, for them, they have money to research and know how to do everything. For us, we have to, you know, just talk to people, see mm. on which level you need to engage them on so that they can be able to understand and yes, I have got more than 2,500 people directly into crypto. And I know from my Twitter account a lot more. So it's really interesting just seeing people move into this technology. People who used to call us scammers six months ago are now telling yeah. me, you know what, Theo? I got <laughs> Solana when you say that I made 10x <laughs> money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. And you have to be a bit tolerant There are people will just come tell you, you know, are you still advocating for that scammers' money? And you can't, you know, get angry and start abusing them. You have to, you know, show them by facts that you know, 9/11 was sponsored using US dollars. Mm -hmm. Pablo Escobar sold drugs using US dollars. The amount used in Bitcoin is negligible and traceable on the network. You have to engage them and help them understand because you know when information is scarce it gives room for a lot of misinformation like you just said and trying to look for the useful information becomes a hurdle so that's where we come in now.
0: that's true i mean 2500 people you are really absolutely true... that's
1: that's
0: that's a really good number yeah um, of, of people to and, you know, you barely stretch the, the surface when you look at it uh, yeah, in the, the bigger picture. Because I was looking at the chart yesterday, last, last night, I think, um, and this chart was giving the number of people who are already on the internet, connected to the internet. And then uh, it scales down to now the number of people who are on data yeah, And then the number of people who own crypto or number of wallets in existence. Um, and now the number of people who even own NFTs, um, it's, it's barely it's barely less than way less than even 1%. So um, even if you extrapolate that data and just think about it as uh, when you just try to compare people, the number of people on the internet or people who have set up crypto wallets and own some Bitcoin. Still a very long long time to go. but well, what do you think should be done to sort of push this mass adoption concept that we've been talking about for years?
1: um like I said in my previous statement, we cannot just you know copy the strategies being used in America and Europe and try to implement them here. Mm-hmm. From experience, you know I co-found a crypto-based company so you get to learn that a lot of people who need and will use this technology a lot are not the regular people you will engage on Twitter and assume that this guy would want to know about this. They are the normal average Kenyans, someone who just you know imports things from probably Dubai, from another jurisdiction and comes, resells them here on a margin. Another group of people are university students Probably continuing, and those who finished but couldn't quite, you know, land a job after that and need to be creative in um, finding employment opportunities or um, revenue streams for themselves. You get to understand that you need to go to the ground as well. You can't just do it on the World Wide Web, on Twitter, and probably on Facebook and the other platforms, even podcast you need to go engage these people, you need to go to Isili, you need to go to Ruthuli. you need to go to the yeah. likes of University. Actually, with mm-hmm. Bitlipa, we had clicks of users. I don't know how we can put that. You could find like 500 guys come from Kakamega and they are almost friends, all of them. Another 800 oh. guys come from Meru and they know each other. <laughs> Another like, <laughs> 700 guys come from Kwale. So... You need to go to the ground and talk to such communities. These are, of course, people who, you know, faced one issue or the other, probably unemployment, were unable to, you know, send money to another jurisdiction, something like that, came together and found a solution in crypto and built those communities. Even for us here in Nairobi, we can't, you know, just be doing events where the normal 150 guys attend the 150 guys who yeah, have been yeah. attending all the events since 2015. That's true. That's yeah, we need true. to yeah, rope yeah. in other people because people do need this technology, but they do not know about it, and those who do do not understand it completely. So if we can be able to, you know, talk to these people, go to Ushago, people who are selling land, those land brokers, people who are buying, people who just do other businesses, people who have children abroad who send them money back here, Others who have children abroad studying, who they send money to. Just engage these people, show them how this is both a social tool, an economic empowerment tool, a philosophical tool, a rebellion against unjust and, and systems tool. You, we need to go to the ground, like the way the Sarafu guy, the Bangla guy does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the strategy that we need to adopt. Of course, putting information online is good because, you know, after you've engaged this person on the ground, he needs to, you know, go follow up and he needs to get credible information online. So we have to make the two work together. But we really do need to go to the ground. As you can recall, when Safaricom was starting, for example, and equity as well, Mm. they really did some groundwork because... Mm you You need to change the mentality of people from a very grassroots level, and then it will just, yeah, yeah, totally agree with
0: you. I mean, um, most of the reason why you know a lot of people are not exposed is because of just lack of uh, knowledge, lack of information. So education is really uh, still uh, it's going to play a very important role um in in getting people to understand this and also to be able to deliver that message to them in a language that they understand in a very relatable uh, fashion so now let's talk Bitlipa co-founder Bitlipa Mr. Hio Mwangi what is Bitlipa
1: um it's a blockchain based cross-border remittance network it's basically using a borderless currency to move money across borders instantly and almost for zero fees. That's interesting. So how how exactly does Bitlipa work? Um, What we do is, you know, allow users to on-ramp and off-ramp their fiat on our product. If you have $50 in cash, you can deposit it on Bitlipa, exchange it to Bitcoin, send it to someone in another, another jurisdiction who probably uses the beer, who will then exchange the $50 worth of Bitcoin to beer and then off-ramp it to, you know, the systems that they use there. Like we use m here, like Americans use PayPal and something like that. It's a simple technology to use, but you need to you know, probably break it down a little bit further yeah. for people to be able to trust that, you know, I'm in America mm. and you're in Kenya and I can yeah. send money to you within three minutes. How? It takes me three days to get this money. So, yeah. 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 Interesting. So um, which markets particularly do you serve? Um, we're very focused on the African market for now. East African markets to be precise, And the MVP will be coming with um, MPESA, of course, integrated, which we tested on our beta. We will probably also have Rwanda, Uganda, and Tanzania sorted as those are some of the jurisdictions that have been asking us to expand from when we were running the beta. Another region that we're looking to go into is the Middle East. Um, but this is a conversation for another day. I'll invite <laughs> you for coffee and tell you about how we came across these guys who want us to go there and yeah. even provided us with some useful data and help. We could call it help in okay. our journey to expand there, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's
0: that's that's going to be a very big expansion uh, when <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I was looking at a map, the African map, uh, uh, and essentially how it relates to, to regulation. So I think it falls in three ways. There are those places in Africa that are open to crypto, or blockchain, technology. Then there are those that there's no... Uh, there's no, but it's it's basically a grey area, so it's never yes or a no from the government, from the regulators, and then there are those that have directly banned uh, crypto, like uh, Nigeria. So does does your platform serve all markets, or do you consider some of those factors when you're rolling out uh, the, the the platform?
1: Um. We have not uh, expanded to a region that has outrightly banned crypto yet. But, yeah. <laughs> but Nigeria is very big. It should be there, whether it's banned or not. People <laughs> <Well>, have been finding ways <laughs> to get into, into it,
0: and there's actually a lot of demand. Is it something that uh, you are going to consider? <laughs>
1: yeah, at some point, it's something that you have to do because it's something that the people want and mm-hmm. something that the government is you know, preventing them from having. I I, I do think that a lot of, you know, countries, especially authoritarian regimes, are afraid of what people could be when they do own their own money, when they transact without the permission of governments, when Uh they discover and, you know, their whole potential. So it's something that is scary for jurisdictions, but I don't think it should be. Uh Um. Uh, this is caused by, you know, a lot of lack of information for these people to act on. These people are lazy. That's one thing that we have to agree on. Almost all the regulations. Actually, our constitution was first the, you know, the UK version. And then in 2010, we changed it to an American version. These people are lazy. They do not like to research. The regulations probably only come after the USA, UK, Germany have issued clear guidelines on crypto in their jurisdictions. Our people will then just change, you know, London to Nairobi, UK Mm -hmm. to Kenya, and try to copy paste those laws. But if we can have associations across Africa, be it Nigeria, be it Ghana, be it South Africa, be it Kenya, that engage these regulators, that engage governments and central banks and show them, you know, how this technology can complement what already exists, how regulations that are already there can be used, you know, to, to protect the, what is called retail investors. We yeah. can probably make major breakthroughs because everything that needs to be regulated is there. You cannot yeah. regulate Bitcoin. That's like regulating the internet. <laughs> you can only yes. regulate platforms being built to use Bitcoin. If it's a trading platform with trading regulations, if it's a custody service, it must be regulated as a bank. If it is a remittance network, there are guidelines for remittance networks. So everything that we need is already there. We just need you know to go the extra step and I do believe we will get there, but we need a lot of proactiveness with the associations tasked with engaging, you know, all players that are responsible for coming up with that.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd want to touch
1: on a bit about uh,
0: regulation. Um, it's it's still a very thorny issue. Uh, there's still so much work to do, uh, but then. I am curious to find out your opinions on this. If 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 you're going to find a government that is openly uh, supporting uh, Bitcoin or crypto, like El Salvador, do you think there's there's a way that um, the okay? The question is: uh, Look at a country like El Salvador, El Salvador that is openly supporting a uh, Bitcoin. Um, do you think it will get to a point where you know you give people sovereignty over their money, they're doing right now, and then they get to a point whereby they realize um, they probably need to get back that control because the way governments are, have always been organized throughout the past is you need to have control over the armies and you have control over the money supply. Is is it possible for them to switch back to, to not, uh, giving people their sovereignty over their money at some
1: point. (laughs) I think we live in a very interesting world. Human beings and curiosity are two things that cannot be separated and that (laughs) leads to evolution because they want to know what comes after this. What comes after that? We had governments where kings could murder people in broad daylight, then Mm. we came to the other governments where presidents had total power and then now we have democratic governments. These things do evolve too. If we have democratic governments right now, they probably the smart ones. I believe Naib Bukele is one of the smarter presidents. Is already yeah. looking at what comes after democracy. And slowly over the years, governments have been losing their control over institutions that they have held with a very tight grip over the years. For example, healthcare, security, education, you probably take your kids to private schools. <laughs> yeah. You probably take them to private hospitals. Mm. Yeah, when time, yeah, when the time comes when you're a billionaire, you'll probably hire private security. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you see, so everything is going private. And the next thing that is gonna go private is how people transact. And governments have to start planning on this. This will take central banks into more of oversight authorities to make sure that despite these transactions being private, the person transacting is still protected. Probably government money will still be there. People still transact using gold. People still do butter trade where you just take your sack of beans to the school and that school fees for your kid. So they need to start thinking about what, how will the world look like when, you know, people eventually adopt Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. It's not just Bitcoin. People are joining DAOs. DAOs are basically replacing governments and you wouldn't expect that a government will directly endorse a DAO. That's like fighting itself. (laughs) They wouldn't, but it will be so hard to fight these kinds of technologies because if there is no Hydra head that you can just cut off and this thing, goes away just like that. You have to, you know, think big on how, you know, you complement each other, the current govern government systems and what what is coming. So I do believe that we are at a place where we need to vote for very smart leaders. Leaders who can be able to, you know, just see that people will eventually transition into these technologies, but how will we still be able to protect them? Because I keep saying that tax is important and that's why I pay tax. If if it's not for tax, I would probably right now have guys at my gate wanting to evict me from this house or just wanting to steal everything here. But because of the taxes that we pay, policemen are able to, you know, enforce the law. So they have to think around how, you know, despite us moving away from their system into a more efficient more accommodative, mm. more futuristic um, yeah. way of doing things, how we can still interact with their system, how they can still provide you know the basic government services and oversight to make sure that despite us moving from their um, system to this other system, things still run smoothly. And I do believe we'll get there. Mm,
0: that's that's good. Cool. Um, I think for now, it's going to be a wait and see. Uh because there's quite a lot of also you know unpredictability, especially when it comes to technology. Yeah. Um and you know there's quite a lot that is happening in the world right now that um essentially is pushing a lot of these disruptions, but it's going to be a very really interesting future to live in. So um back to Bitlipa. It's a homegrown uh project, you know, it's a homegrown company. Um and you know, building uh, a tech tech company in Kenya or generally in Africa is, is a huge undertaking. What are some of the main challenges you've been facing um,
1: in the process? Um, I, I, I like telling you that, you know, we cannot just import solutions or problems from abroad and just rephrase them for our language so the kinds of problems that we face here are different from the kinds of problems that probably coinbase faces in america um one of them is the lack of information out there people still don't know about these technologies so you're just telling him that he will Deposit money from M-Pesa, exchange it to Bitcoin, and then send it to another jurisdiction. It doesn't make sense to this person. He has, you know, even the guys we onboarded for the beta, you could see they were trying with very small amounts before gaining this confidence. And yeah, that's that's why
0: Bitcoin is called that's why Bitcoin is called magic internet money.
1: Yeah, Yeah. you could see someone deposit a hundred bob and then withdraw it without even first exchanging it to Bitcoin to just, you know, make sure that you guys, whatever you say you're doing is what you're doing. And then he would deposit like 500 shillings, exchange it to Bitcoin and then back to cash and then withdraw it. So there is still that issue of trust, which expands from just, you know, the Bitcoin technology to now Kenyan uh, made technology. They want to know that they can trust you guys despite being Kenyans. Unfortunately, African products and probably mostly Kenya, Nigeria, and Ghana have a CV which is not very attractive (laughs) when it comes to, you know, how they operate. Just the other day, uh, a South African company ran away with 50 million worth of Bitcoin which belongs to clients. And these are the things that, you know, lead people into this, you know, I, I don't trust you guys. I, I I need to, you know, see where you're regulated, you know, to ask for so much information. So those are some of the two problems that we face. Another problem comes in, of course, with getting the right talent. A lot of people, I, I usually make this tweet and then it becomes very controversial when I say that in the Kenyan market, the people who you would not think would do something are the ones who are very good at doing it. People who are not very, you know, can't present themselves at their best. Like they can't just come and give a talk and you're like, that guy knows his craft. There are people who are shy, probably have vernacular accents. And to be able to learn the best talent is kind of a problem you will get the guys whose names are big, the guys who you know, name Mzito, and then pay them a lot of money and at the end of the day they will have accomplished nothing. So recruiting is another challenge. Yeah.
0: You face. I think
1: that ties down to
0: this Silicon Savannah narrative that we've been having in Kenya, you yeah. know, um, when we talk about uh, that stretch where uh, you know, at some point, all the tech businesses, all the tech startups were based there, and there was so much confidence um, and so much hope in them, uh, sort of modeling their businesses around how Silicon, survival, Silicon Valley has done it uh, <clears throat> for them to grow into unicorns. Uh, but then, you see, it's been a couple of years later, uh, we still don't seem to have a unicorn coming out of this Silicon Savannah right? And what we seeing mostly is uh, the most promising startups and businesses coming out uh, just on the fringes. You know. uh, they're like on completely different places. Uh, they don't have the network of, network VCs and um, even, you know, incubation hubs and that sort of thing. So that narrative is also changing. So when I, I totally agree with you when it comes to that point of uh, hiring, um, you, would we expect to hire the best talent based on how they're packaged in a certain environment or in such a, in a certain way, but there's no guarantee that the ones who need deliver, ones who
1: deliver. Right.
0: probably in like right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, great. Um, so
0: Going into the future, what essentially are you seeing Bitlipa morphing into? What's the future plan?
1: Um, I, I think Bitlipa right now offers the basics, what um, a lot of people don't have access to. If I, I can guarantee you right now, if you make a tweet saying that, you know, cryptocurrency Y has shot 10% up today, you will uh-huh. get at least three replies asking you now try cashing it out <laughs> because a lot of people yeah. don't know how to use p two p platforms that you know operate in our jurisdictions so um I guess, and this is where a lot of the international companies go wrong, you have to you know provide people with that gateway on ramp and off ramp as the very basic when trying to you know. Incentivize them into adopting this technology. If I bought Bitcoin at 30,000 USD eight weeks ago and it's now at 49,000 USD and I want to sell, I have, you know, to, and I've never sold again. My ad can't even be shown on a P2P product because I still have zero trades, literally. It's very yeah. difficult finding a buyer and even getting your ad as a top, you know, there. So, What we provide right now is just that basic on-ramp and off-ramp. You know, if I have cash, I can get Bitcoin. If I have Bitcoin, I can get cash. If I have Ethereum, I can get cash. That's what we are offering. But going into the future, the future, (laughs) we now intend, you know, to offer people a vast range of services that, you know, come with crypto. Already right now with the on-ramp and off-ramp, people are finding opportunities when we run beta people would just buy at low margins on our platform the veteran peer to peer traders arbitrage yeah. traders and go ahead and sell on other platforms make 4 or 5% margins that was good enough other guys just you know want a bridge between cash to defi platforms if i want to access probably staking on the solana ecosystem and i have cash I quite can't accomplish that. But if I'm able to exchange it into USDT and on RAMP on one of the platforms where I can buy Solana, it makes it easier for them. If they want to off-RAMP, the same thing. So the future is interesting. I'll probably not spill all my beans. (laughs) But yeah, that's what we're trying to do. That's great. Um, It's...
0: I'd say, um, like we said, there's still quite a lot to to cover going going forward, um, and and particularly in, in crypto. And now that, particularly at this point, now we're we're looking at uh, an impending uh, bull run. Um, and if you can remember what happened in twenty seventeen, the bull run. It was very exciting for so many people and it got a lot of those sort of retail investors getting crypto and having uh, the highest, you know, uh, ratings. I mean, the, the search results for Google and Bitcoin went very very high. They, they really went up. Um, now, this is another season. It's, I think it's pretty much... Another all-time high, we expect another all-time high uh, between this month, October through, through December. What? And and I think one of the things that also really stood out in 2017 with all the FOMO was uh, scams. So we are definitely going to have a lot of people getting scammed again this time. Because yeah. uh, now we are expecting some sort of uh, parabolic run on the price. <laughs> What what's your advice for for anyone who might fall for the former <laughs> for this particular for <laughs> <round>? to <laughs> so and be able to even identify them from far before they they put in the the
1: the money? Um, that's a very tricky and <laughs> sensitive issue, especially for Kenyans here. A lot of skeptics mm. have probably been scammed before or know a couple of people who have encountered scammers. First things first, the big influencers are your worst enemy. I saw a guy <laughs> on IG running yeah. CG Bitcoin hot and people were buying. He could show that people had deposited more than 5 million Kenya shilling to buy the so-called Bitcoin. So wow. it's, it's, it's really difficult. You know, someone follows those people like a cult. If that person says, you know, this is not a shirt, it's, it's <laughs> an overall, They believe that. So <laughs> it's probably more difficult helping those people. But for those who want to be helped, um, it's really important that you always do your own research. Oh. You always engage people who you see as knowledgeable, people who you see as trustworthy before you make you know that final decision. Before you decide on which wallet you want to buy and store these coins on, before you decide on who to buy from, you have to look at the ratings. If they have a 40% you know, rating on the P2P platform, it probably means they scam a lot of people. If they yeah. have a 99% rating out of 1,000 trades, it probably means a lot of people trust them and they complete all their trades. Um, um, the guy at at um, Techspace Africa, he's called Nigel. He is trying to, you know, write a lot of blogs trying to show people how to navigate their way around the crypto ecosystem, how to identify wallets, how to identify potential scammers. They are probably not scammers, but you don't want to find out. Just try and look for the person who seems most trustworthy also buying from platforms that have integrated cards and probably M-Pesa is better because even if something goes wrong these platforms do refund you either the cash or deposit more bitcoin from their end if it was a loss in the system it will be tricky because you know once we get to around 70k a lot of people will now start buying. And yeah. Probably you recommended Bitcoin at 10K to someone <laughs> one year ago and they refused to yes. buy. And now yeah. want to buy at 70K. They don't want to engage you because they, you know, probably look like clowns. No, that's mm. not the case. <laughs> just ask, just ask, you know, I have this 50 going to feel shy. Yeah. Don't yeah. be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Even if you call its names, just engage the person who you see as trustworthy the most. And ask them, you know, I have this 100K Kenya shillings, which I want to change to Bitcoin or Ethereum. Which platform do you recommend I do that on? We will tell you, do this on platform X. And we don't even charge. We will give you this information free of charge. If you ask now, yeah, so this is the wallet, how do I buy? We will guide you on how to buy, even if it's me buying and then selling it to you. Just, you know, to close these loopholes that scammers exploit which is lack of information and the naivety that comes with newbies. Don't fall prey. Cool. So um, maybe your parting shot? Um, my parting shot today will not be do your own research, it will be <laughs> <laughs> that you need to get a leg inside even if it's five dollars worth of crypto, even if it's ten dollars worth of crypto, it will you know, excite you to a point that you want to know more. And the more you know, the more you buy. It will be a worthwhile journey. Just try it.
0: True. So where can we find you online?
1: Um, on Twitter, Theo underscore Mwangi. We recently launched a podcast, Crypto Fridays, which will be sharing a lot of content for newbies. Yes, yes. Uh, sorry, a I, I, I call came in. So, yeah, on Twitter, at theo underscore Mwangi, um, you can probably find um, our company's page at Bitlipa underscore as well. It shares a lot of useful information. And um, for podcasts, it's Crypto Fridays. That's our online presence, and bitlipa.com is our website. Thank you very much for having me tonight, Frank. Great. Thank you
0: very much, Theo. Uh, We should do this again. I'll keep you posted.
1: Yeah, we should do it again probably this week so that you can get really nice edits. All right.
0: Okay. Um, Have a good one, Theo. Thank you.
1: Okay, perfect.
0: Okay, bye.